You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Today's Bible reading is taken from Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long? doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, it's no secret that Australia has a problem with binge drinking. So this is when you go have more than just a couple of drinks, but you have a lot of drinks. You get loaded, you get wasted, you get smashed drinking massive amounts of alcohol in one go. And as much as it's a huge problem and has a lot of negative consequences for individuals and for us as a society, we seem kind of proud of it and we don't seem to really want to do anything about it. To the point where when we have lockdowns during the pandemic, the shops that are allowed to stay open are shops that sell things like food and medicine and the bottle shops are also an essential shop to stay open. That does seem kind of strange, doesn't it? With all the negative consequences, why are we so keen to drink so much alcohol in one go? You know, if you were to go, hey, all right, 
we're gonna survey you about your night out. You're about to head out to a party or a night on the town, and uh, here's a few check boxes. Let's see what sort of things you'd like to have happen during your time out. Would you like to A, vomit in a gutter? B, violently assault one of your friends or family members? C, end up in hospital and or jail? D, get a massive hangover? Or E, all of the above? I'm pretty sure you're gonna avoid ticking any of those checkboxes because all of those options suck. And by the way, there's heaps more negative consequences to drinking to excess. I'm just not gonna mention all of them because that'd tip us into the like, you know, the YouTube sort of uh, explicit content thing and you know, it would be a whole different sort of video. So why do we love binge drinking so much as a society when the negative consequences are so obvious? Well, all you have to do is scratch beneath the surface of those obvious negative consequences and you'll find the reason. There are some deeper desires driving us to drink this much and they become clear when we go beneath the surface. For example, for some people, it might be to do with social acceptance. You've got a friendship group and they drink heavily. That's what they do when they hang out. And you wanna be part of that group. You wanna be accepted in that social group. And so when you drink with them, you feel that you are accepted. You get a sense of that you can relax that you get a sense that you can be yourself. When you drink with those friends, you get a sense that you truly belong. There's a sense of loyalty there. And so you're prepared to put up with some of the negative consequences, the potential negative outcomes of drinking, because that desire to belong is so strong. For other people, maybe it's that there's some problems going on in their life. There's some negative relationships in their family or at work, or maybe they're dealing with some disappointment or frustration or depression in their life. There's just something that nags them each day that's get, that gets them down, and the effects of drinking large amounts of alcohol just help them to forget that for a, for a time. There's a wonderful sense of freedom that they receive from putting all that aside and being able to just forget about it. And so that desire to be free from that problem, even for a time, far outweighs any possible negative consequences of getting that drunk. For others, they might feel that when they're sober, they're just not a confident person, but the effects of the alcohol allow them to be someone that they're not, allow them to be a more confident version of themselves. And sure, that might get them in a, in a few problems, but it also, they like the person that they are the more confident, powerful person when they drink. And so it's these deeper desires that drive us towards these powers. These deeper desires are the reasons that we do what we do. Now, please hear me clearly. I'm not recommending these as reasons why you should go out and drink, but they are reasons why we do what we do. Now, Jesus was always interested in these deeper reasons why we do what we do. If you look at the way Jesus interacted with people, if you look at the teaching of Jesus, he was always wanting to go below the surface and push people to think about those deeper desires that we have. And so we're starting a new teaching series today called Our Deepest Desires. And each week, 
we're going to look at something that, a desire that we all have at one point in our life, uh, or, you know, and we might have it frequently throughout our life, that like uh, the, the binge drinking issue will sometimes draw us into destructive patterns. We're going to mess us up in one way. So next week, we're going to look at the deep desire for approval. Then we'll look at our deep desire for comfort and our deep desire for control. And today I'm going to talk about our deep desire for power. Now, all these things, uh, approval, comfort, control and power, when they're in their right place, they can be good things. So they're not automatically evil. But what we're going to say is that when we have a deep desire for them, when they drive a lot of our decisions, when we put a lot of focus and energy into these things, then our life can really get messy and they can bring a lot of negative consequences with them. So each week, we're going to look at the desire. We're going to look at how it messes things up for us, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And then we're going to look at who God is and how he offers us something so much better and how when we turn to him and we live his way, we're going to be on a much better path. So that's what we're going to do each week. Let's start with today and our deep desire for power. As we said, power is not automatically evil. If we have power in life, it can be used for good. I was in a football team once where we had a very powerful player in our team. He was our ruckman. Usually the ruckman's the biggest, tallest player in the team. And this guy, uh, just he was born to grow up into just a huge human being. He was just a physically massive unit. And when you're playing a really physical game like Aussie Rules Football, uh, you, it's good to have a really big physical player like that on your team. It's just great to have someone you can see from anywhere on the ground and be able to kick it to and be confident that he's a good chance to get the ball. But what was great about this particular teammate was that he used his physicality and his, his sheer size to really uh, be a great teammate. He would protect uh, his teammates, protect you with his body. And I've never played football with someone who was so good at using his physical attributes to bring his teammates into the game and help you to be a better player. He was a wonderful protector and a wonderful teammate. He didn't choose to be that big. That was just the way he'd grown up. and He was born that way, I guess. Uh, born to grow up that way, but he used his physical power for great good in that team. But unfortunately, we do know that a lot of the time, people will use their physical superiority for great evil. They'll use it to physically intimidate people. This starts young. People do it in the schoolyard. It can just happen in workplaces or even on the street. It can escalate into violent assault. And of course, this huge problem we have in our society in Australia of domestic violence, where people use physical violence to make themselves more powerful at the expense of others. What about in the workplace? Uh, you know, supervisors, bosses have power given to them uh, in their jobs, uh, and that can be used for great good, of course. I very fondly remember a supervisor I had in my very first job. I think I was 15, 
and, you know, really new to just working in general. And, you know, we were on shifts, so we had a variety of supervisors. Some were okay, some were pretty rubbish. You know, they were grumpy sort of mean people who clearly didn't want to be there. Uh, but one supervisor really stands out to me. He was a really friendly guy. He was super encouraging and a great teacher. He really helped us, you know, uh, very out of our depth um, teenagers to get to grips with what we needed to do in the job. And honestly, I was thinking back to it, it's a long time ago now, over two decades ago, and I'm thinking, I, I, I may have only had him for one shift, but his impact on me and the encouragement he gave me has really stuck with me to this day. So supervisors uh, can use their power for great good. Um, and I, st I would still take him as a role model. I can't remember his name. As I said, maybe I only had him for one shift, but a, a wonderful supervisor. And yet we also know that people can use their power in the workplace for great evil. Uh, workplace bullies, just climbing the ladder, trying to get the next promotion, trying to get the next pay rise at the expense of other people. Overworking, the bosses overworking their employees, underpaying them. A lot of this was exposed during the, the pandemic over the last 18 months in Australia. But of course, that's nothing compared to the way third world workers are often exploited by some of the richest and wealthiest companies in the world. We just have to pick an area of life, politics, parenting, leadership, celebrity. People are, have power and they can use it for great good, but also have the potential for that to be corrupted, for it to be used for selfish ambition and so often at the cost of others. When we have a deep desire for power and when we just want more and more of it, how are other people gonna feel? Are they gonna feel important? Are they gonna feel valued? Of course not. They're gonna feel used. They're gonna feel like they're, you're only interested in them as a means to an end. I used to volunteer in a community radio station many years ago and a new guy joined the team. And he was really enthusiastic and hardworking. And when you're part of a volunteer organization, you can often get a fair bit of power and influence quite quickly if you're willing to work hard. And he did. And he quit very quickly got onto the board of directors. And he kept accumulating power for himself. And unfortunately, the way he did that was to basically gossip and play people off against each other. And, and in my opinion, to flat out lie about some people in order to, to do that. And at first it was quite an effective strategy for him and it meant he did get more power within the organization and kind of got his own way on a few things until people worked out that they were getting used. And then a few people started to confront him on it and it all sort of blew up in his face and eventually he left the organization. Unfortunately though, he just left a trail of destruction behind him. People felt like they'd been chewed up and spat out and he'd, he'd burned a lot of people along the way. So our deep desire for power, uh, it's not great for our relationships, it's not great for the people around us. Now, let's have a look at today's Bible passage and I'm gonna recap the story. As I do that, I want you to focus on how you feel about the story. Be honest with yourself and try and dig beneath the surface a little bit, go deeper, because uh, that's really important. So Jesus tells us that this story is 
not, it's not a story about award wages or how to set up a union or anything like that. This is a story that tells us about what the kingdom of God is like. And the, the God character in this story is the landowner. He represents God, right? And so this landowner owns a vineyard. He's looking for some workers. And so at the start of the day, he goes out and he hires some people. And he says, I'm going to pay you a denarius for the day. Now, all we need to know about a denarius is that's standard day's wage in Jesus' time. Okay, so that's a fair pay for a day's work. All right, so we've got that. Then what happens is he then goes back. Obviously, there's more work to do. They need more workers. So he goes back and he hires more people at various times throughout the day. Now, of course, anyone listening to this, and you probably thought this as you heard the story read, you're thinking, okay, they're probably going to get paid less than the people who got hired at the start of the day. You work less hours, you get less paid. That just seems logical. But the twist in the story is that doesn't happen. Let's see what Jesus says. In verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Same amount of pay as the people were promised at the start. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. So everyone, no matter how long they've worked, is receiving the same amount. Now, let's see the response um, of the people who worked at the start. Um, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Here's what they say. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, let's just pause there for a sec. How are you feeling about the story so far? And here's another question. Would you be grumpy too? Would you have grumbled? No judgment from me. I think I, personally, I think I would have, right? And I'm probably the sort of person who would talk up, so I probably would have said something. So if you are the sort of person who would have grumbled and would have been grumpy about this situation, dig a little deeper. Ask yourself, why? Why would you be grumpy about this situation? If you're not watching live, you might even want to pause the video right now and do a bit of thinking about it, do some self-reflection. Anyway, let's have a look at what the landowner says in response. So uh, he goes on and he says, um, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? You see, no one's been ripped off here. No one's been underpaid. Some people are perhaps being overpaid or being paid more than you might be expecting. The landowner's not being stingy He's being generous. 
So if we are upset about this story, if we feel it's being that the landowner is being unfair, we feel he's being unfair because he's being generous, not because he's being stingy. And that's challenging for us. We feel upset because the God character is generous. Now, that may be because, and there could be other reasons, but it may be because we desire power too much. A standout comment from me, in my mind, from the people who work the whole day is when they say, you have made them equal to us. It's like our work has, should have put us at a higher status than them. We should have more power and influence in this situation than those guys. And your generosity has stripped us of our power and position. This is what happens when we desire power too much. Because when we lose it, our key emotions are resentment and bitterness. This has happened a lot over the last 18 months during the pandemic situation. Because what the pandemic has done is it's stripped away a lot of our opportunity to gain power. You know, so much has changed and we have less opportunity to win and succeed in life. You know, a lot of those things that used to give us that sense that we are powerful, they're gone. And so if you're someone who didn't really have a deep desire for power, you probably coped all right with that. But if we had that deep desire for power, then we are probably feeling a sense of bitterness and resentment. And if you have been feeling those emotions during the pandemic, it's worth reflecting whether you desire power too much whether this is a desire that has too big a hold in your life. See, this, this story that Jesus tells should be good news, right? Think about it. The majority of the workers in the story got paid more, that they didn't work the full day and they got paid generously. Most of the people in this story got paid really, really well, and everyone got paid fairly. It's a good news story, right? And the landowner did it not because he had to. He didn't like, oh, I have to pay these guys extra. He did it because he wanted to. He delighted in doing it because he's generous. And this, God, this character represents God. So what we learn from this is that God, the creator of everything, the one who knows everything, the one who created us, is generous and he is gracious. Being, God being gracious means that he loves us even though we've done nothing to deserve it and nothing to earn it. And that's best demonstrated not just in the teaching of Jesus, what Jesus told us, uh, but which is the case in this story in Matthew 20, but also in the way Jesus lived and died and rose again. And so uh, this is well summarized for us in Philippians chapter 2 verses six to eight, where we read this. Jesus, who being in very nature God, so Jesus himself was God come to earth, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
So he had all the power in the universe, but he didn't use it selfishly. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Not a great leader, not a general, not a celebrity, but a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not only did he die, but he died that horrible death, usually reserved for a criminal. So if we follow Jesus' example, we won't deeply desire power, we'll deeply desire humility. And if we have power in our life, if we have that opportunity to use power, which we all will in some way, big or small, at various times, we will use that power not to make ourselves more powerful, but to serve others. That is a radically different attitude towards power than we often get from our world. But that's the good news of Jesus both in his teaching and in the way he, he handled power himself. He shows us that God is generous and that God is gracious. And when we're in a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to prove ourselves to others by making ourselves more powerful. We've got nothing to prove to ourselves. And when we're in relationship with Jesus, we know that we cannot earn anything from God. We simply receive God's generous gifts. And when we live this out with God's help, people around us won't feel used or devalued. Instead, they'll receive compassion. And to finish, I just want to say, if you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, the freedom that we receive in living the way of Jesus and living in relationship with him is awesome. It is radically different to the way the world often presents us, to us. And it is challenging to take it on, but I promise you that it is better. And so we'd love to help you along that journey. We'd love to help you, you know, work through your questions and discover the, that freedom that Jesus brings. So please, if you haven't already, head to our website, hit that connect button, get in touch with us, and we'd love to help you to take that next step towards freedom in that relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.